Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Gospel of our Lord. So when was the last time that you needed to ask for something? Ask for a ride to the airport or for help with a move or... Maybe you were just asking an employee at Woodman's how to get out of the store, back to the parking lot, because you're lost somewhere in the thousands of aisles. (laughs) Or maybe it was asking for help with a child, watching a child, or help paying a bill. How did you feel when you had to ask for that? Did you feel bold, confident, or apprehensive? Did you expect a positive response? Did you manage your expectations? Did you ask for it boldly, or did you soften your request? So the title of the sermon this morning is Good News for Those Who Ask. And so no matter how you feel this morning when you think about that last time you had to ask for something, Uh, I want to take a moment to look at the most important asking relationship in our lives, the most significant space in our lives where we can come with something to ask for. We'll be looking at uh, Jesus' teaching on prayer in the gospel passage that was just read, and I want to walk us through this teaching, focusing specifically on three things. What Jesus teaches us to ask for, how he teaches us to ask for it, 
and what we should expect from God in response. What to ask for, how to ask for it, and what to expect from God in response. So let's look at verse 1. Our passage this morning begins with a request, Lord, teach us to pray. But did you notice they qualify that? They say, just as John taught his disciples. So this is a specific request for a specific kind of prayer, specific guidance on how to pray as a follower of Jesus. John taught his disciples how to pray in light of his own mission and calling from God, and now the disciples want Jesus to teach them to pray as his followers, as those who are with Jesus on the road to Jerusalem, and those who have heard the call, listened to the call to take up their cross and follow him. And that's what makes this prayer that Jesus gives us so unique. Read what it says with me in verses 2 through 4. Jesus says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also have forgiven everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. I recently um, read an article on the end of World War II because I'm a nerd, um, and in it the writer describes the period between D-Day, the moment of the decisive attack of the Allied forces on the shores of Europe, the moment that most scholars agree was really the, the moment that the war was won, and then VE Day, the day of uh, when the Nazi forces finally gave their full and unconditional surrender and the war was brought to an end. But there's actually an 11-month period between these two moments, D-Day and V-E Day, 11 months between the decisive victory that changed the course of the war and the final day when the enemy surrendered and peace is established. And, and what was fascinating is that you could actually read letters from soldiers on the front lines within that 11-month period, letters they sent back to their families, back to their base camps, and I was just so struck by the clarity and the purpose of their writing. One man wrote to his family, uh, Now that I'm actually here, I see that the chances of my returning to you all are quite slim. So I want you to know how much I love you. You mean everything to me. And it's the realization of that love that gives me the courage to continue. Another soldier wrote, As you know, the battle has now started. And I'm sure you can imagine we're committing ourselves to it. How little time is left for writing. How every single one of us soldiers gets through this doesn't matter much. The main thing is and will be that we can soon win a just and lasting peace. And then the, finally, one soldier kind of summed it all up this way. Everything is just so irrelevant now compared to what's happening. Or rather, the great embraces all the trifles. The great embraces all the trifles. The great embraces all the small things, all the details. So they gain a new sense of clarity, a new sense of what's necessary and what's important. And this is what's happening here in Jesus' prayer. Jesus is marching to the cross where he'll win the decisive victory over sin, evil, and death. God's kingdom is landing on the beach of a world ruled by Satan and the powers of darkness. But Jesus knows that the moment of his cross will be the moment of God's victory over these forces. 
the moment when the war is won. But he also knows that there will be a period between that moment of victory and the moment of final and lasting peace, between the moment of his cross and resurrection and the day he returns to establish his kingdom forever. And he knows that in that period, his disciples will have work to do. He knows they'll face opposition. He knows that his followers will taste difficulty and hardship and that they'll be in need of many, many things. And so he gives them a prayer for soldiers on the front line, a prayer for all of us who are living between the moment of God's victory and the moment of his lasting peace. So this is the kind of prayer that we're invited into as followers of Jesus. I think it's so easy to think of prayer as just another task on our to-do list or even as a practice for self-care or a therapeutic exercise or just see it as something that's marginal in our lives. But Jesus is inviting us to see prayer differently. He's inviting us to see it as something much more beautiful and urgent and vital as this line of communication from the front lines, as a lifeline in a time of danger and setback and adversity. And so as we follow him, Jesus invites us not only into that moment of lasting peace, but also to know what to ask for in the meantime. And what do we ask for if you look at verse 2? Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. So when we come to prayer, whether on Sunday morning or in the morning with a cup of coffee or when we sit down at our dinner table or we're just driving in the car, this is the first thing that we seek. Father, Father who loves me, Father who knows me, Father who sees me and who cares for me, hallowed be your name. Your name be kept holy. Your name be set apart. May your name and your will occupy the highest and most important place in my life. May I treasure you, knowing you, being known by you, and following you above everything else. And your kingdom come. Your kingdom come soon. Your kingdom come now. Your kingdom come in our world and in our nation. Your kingdom come in our households, in our hearts. Your kingdom come in our neighborhoods and workplaces. Your kingdom come to the marginalized and the oppressed. Your kingdom come to those who don't know you. Your kingdom come to those who do know you and who long for your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. This is where Jesus teaches us that our prayers should begin. With our heavenly Father and with his kingdom. Sometimes I think that we are disappointed in prayer because we come to God forgetting who we are. We forget that we're children of a heavenly Father. We forget that we're people of a holy God. We forget that we're followers of Jesus in the way of the cross. It's like when my toddler wakes up in the morning and I ask her, hey, what do you want for breakfast? Ice cream, please. That's, that's the wrong question, right? Because I'm forgetting who she is. The right question is something like, do you want oatmeal or bananas for breakfast? And so Jesus here, he is reminding us 
who we are and who God is when we come to him in prayer. God is a father. He's building a kingdom. We are disciples following Jesus in the way of the cross. And that changes what we ask for. Matthew 6 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things is he talking about there? Look what he prays in verses 3 through 4. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive all who sin against us and lead us not into temptation. You notice how simple and unpretentious these requests are? Give us our daily bread. Lord, we need food. We need clothes. We need to pay our bills. Provide enough for today. Forgive us our sins. Don't give up on us. Don't hold us accountable as we deserve. Release us. Heal us. Transform us. Give us new hearts and a new way of life. Don't lead us into temptation. Keep us from stumbling. Give us strength to resist what would distract us from you. Give us clarity to know what is right in the complexities of our world. These are prayers of clarity and purpose. They're the request of someone who knows that they're on a mission from God, that they're in a time of war, and they will face opposition, who knows that the purpose of their life is not in obtaining prosperity and peace now, but in living faithfully to their calling while they await the coming of God's kingdom. Because they know who they are, they know what to ask for. Uh, but Jesus doesn't stop here. Look with me at verses 5 through 8. Jesus says, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Uh, now, I, I could be wrong, but I think that Jesus is actually making a little bit of a joke here. Um, he paints this picture of a scenario which to his first century listeners would have just seemed completely ridiculous. He asked, which of you, if a friend visited at midnight and asked for bread, would turn him away? That's the rhetorical question at the heart of this story. And, and Jesus' listeners, for them, the answer would be obvious. No one, no one would turn their friend away. In this Middle Eastern, first century culture, there are strict rules and expectations for hospitality that everybody is expected to follow. So when someone comes to town to visit, they aren't just visiting the friend of uh, the house they're staying in, they're actually visiting the whole community. They're guests of the whole community. And so the excuses that the friend makes in this passage are meant to sound ridiculous. I'm already in bed. My kids are in bed. The door is locked. There's no way I can get up and get you any food. And th this is like, kind of like a friend flying in to O'Hare on a red-eye flight, taking like an hour-long Uber ride out to your house, 
knocking on your door sometime after midnight and you like texting them from bed and being like, hey, sorry, actually I'm already in bed. Why don't you just find like a comfortable place in the backyard to sleep tonight? If you're hungry, there's an Arby's down the street. Right? And we, we laugh at that because it's ridiculous, right? That's not the way that you treat guests. And this is what Jesus hearers would have thought as well. No one would turn away the friend asking for bread because a guest of theirs is a guest of mine, and that's not the way that you treat guests. And so Jesus' point is this. Even a lousy friend knows what's expected of them. Even a lousy friend will give you your request if you just keep on knocking. And if it's true that a friend will give you what you need out of a sense of duty, and if it's even true that a bad friend will give you what you need if you bug them long enough, then how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father answer you when you come asking? This is the good news of Jesus for those who ask. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. God takes your prayers seriously. God takes your prayers seriously. This isn't a weird one-off teaching from Jesus. This is the uniform witness of all the scriptures. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. James 5.16, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Matthew 21.22, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. John 14.13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. John 9.31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This is the wonder and mystery at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of prayer. That God, although he is sovereign and all-powerful, chooses to overthrow the powers of darkness by giving himself over to them in death on a cross. And God, although he is sovereign and all-powerful, chooses to rule the world by responding to the prayers of his people. Let me say that again. God chooses to rule the world by responding to the prayers of his people. Now, I don't know exactly how that works. I don't know what, why God seems to answer some prayers as we might expect and not others. I don't know how he responds to any given prayer. But what seems to be the case throughout the whole witness of Scripture and the teaching of Jesus here is that God listens to us when we speak and he gives our prayers a say in how he runs the world. The image that kept coming to mind as I was thinking about this was, um, was of children. So in just a few minutes, those elevator doors are going to open up and just a flood of children is going to pour in. And, and they're going to run to their mommies and daddies, and they're going to be really happy to see them. And then in a minute, it's going to come. Mommy, I need to go to the bathroom. Daddy, I need a drink. I'm hungry. I need some food. I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to run. I want to draw. I need a chair. I need to see. 
These kids are uninhibited in asking for what they need. They hold nothing back. And all of their requests, no matter how silly, no matter how bizarre or incoherent, we'll listen to them and we'll take them seriously and we'll answer. Those who come to God asking will find an answer. Jesus says in verse 13, if you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, is this the answer that we're looking for? At first glance, it kind of seems like a bit of a bait and switch, right? Jesus teaches us what to ask for in verses 2 through 4, and then gives us this like Holy Spirit juke in verse 13. Holy Spirit. But actually, this is what Jesus tells us that God does not do in verses 11 through 12. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Jesus doesn't give us a bait and switch. He's teaching us that the Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God answers our prayers. The Holy Spirit is the agent through whom God answers our prayers. We pray, Father in heaven. And scripture tells us the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. We pray, hallowed be your name. And scripture says we're sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. We pray your kingdom come and we're filled with the Spirit, who Scripture tells us is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, a foretaste of the kingdom to come. We pray, give us our daily bread, and the Spirit sends help for our needs. We pray, lead us not into temptation, and God fills us with the Spirit, who is our strength to resist temptation. We pray, forgive us our sins, and the Spirit joins us with Jesus, who is our salvation. So when we pray, Jesus wants us to ask God for his kingdom and then look for the Holy Spirit. He wants us to ask for what we need and then look for the work of the Holy Spirit, to see the presence and work of the Spirit as the answer to our prayers. I want to just close with a, a story from just last week. Um, last week, my wife Charlotte and I found ourselves in a position where we had an unexpected expense come up and we were feeling pretty low about it and not quite sure how we were going to pay for it. But I was preparing for this message and so I thought, okay, now is as good a time as any, I guess, to put this into practice. And so I sat down to pray and asked God, Lord, would you just show Charlotte and I that you're providing for us? And that was it. I almost stopped there. But then I just felt the spirit bugging me as I was about to finish. And so I added one last thing. I said, Okay, Lord, one more thing. Would you also give us $50? And we, we needed more than $50 to cover the expense, but would you just give us $50 just to let us know that you're taking care of us? So well, the next day, Charlotte comes to me and she says, hey, you know that friend that you owe $50? And I said, oh, no. Yeah, I know that friend, I owe $50. I, I forgot I owed that friend $50. Is this some sort of like sick joke, God? <laughs> I ask you for $50 and then you remind me I owe someone else $50. But before I could respond that way, Charles says, 
Well, they just texted me and they let me know that someone just sent them $50 out of the blue and they want you to know, they just want to say, forget about it, don't worry about it, consider it paid for. So I, I tell you guys that story not to say, hey, look, I prayed for $50 and I got it. You should try it sometime. <laughs> no, I, I'm telling you that story because it wasn't just that I prayed for $50 and got it. It was that I prayed, Lord, show me that you're providing for us. And I just threw $50 out on a whim. And then the Holy Spirit started working on someone that I didn't even know and told them, hey, you need to send $50 to your friend. You don't need to know what it's for. Just send it. And they respond in obedience. And then that second friend gets the $50. And the Holy Spirit starts working on them and says, hey, you remember this friend who owes you $50? Just say it's covered. That's what it's for. And then here I am. And you know what? I'm learning that God is providing for us. And I'm learning to see the activity of the Holy Spirit in responding to my prayers. And if there's one thing I want you guys to take away from today. It's not that just pray for money and it'll come. I've prayed for money before and nothing has happened. But it's to ask God for what you need and then to be on the lookout for the Holy Spirit's work. Ask him what you need and to be on the lookout for his work. Because Jesus says, ask, speak up, pray. Hold nothing back from the God who holds nothing back from you. The good news for those who ask is that in prayer we find a God who listens to us. The one thing that we can't afford to do is to remain silent. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.